There is in the heart of every child, every student, every adult, the need and the longing to cheer, to shout, to sing, to praise. That might look like a touchdown with no time left on the clock. It might look like the result of a, of a heart-moving performance in a theater. It might be the sight of soldiers coming home. But in the heart of every human being, there is this need, there is this longing to cheer, to shout, to sing, to praise. Such is the case today for the Apostle Paul. As we arrive in chapter three of this letter that he wrote to the Ephesians that, that we get to read, that we get to take in, that we get to understand, when you see something beautiful, when you see something wonderful, your heart shouts praise. I'm glad you're here today. I really am. I really am glad that you uh, navigated the waters today and, and that we could be able, I, I, I'm excited to share something with you that is life changing. And I know that it is. Because if you forced me to, to, to choose one part of scripture, I'm saying one part of the Bible that God has used to affect my life the most. It is the part of scripture that I'm about to share with you today. I'm really glad you're here and I'm really excited to share this with you. I want you to hear Paul cheer, all right? This is where he begins, Ephesians chapter three, verse 21, to him be glory. And the him here, the context is God. So we can read it, to God be glory. Glory. It's God's greatness. It is the beauty and the brightness and the wonder of, of God's infinite perfection. To God be glory. We were made to have a hero. We were made to, to have a hero to be able to brag about. On this day, at Arrowhead, that truth will be evident. And we hope that there's a whole lot of cheering for a hero today in Arrowhead. So do we understand that the main reason that people feel awkward about shouting or cheering or singing the glory of God is that he is not as real to them as Patrick Mahomes. The reason we feel awkward about cheering about our God, the reason we feel awkward about shouting in regards to our God is because he often is not as real to us as Patrick Mahomes. Because in order to have this heart 
sore admiration for our God depends on the eyes of our heart being able to see. And so from chapter one, the apostle Paul opened the letter and he said, I'm praying, I'm praying that the eyes of your heart will be open. Because if, if God doesn't open this, you're, you're not gonna see it. But if he does, oh my goodness, because behind every admirable thing on earth stands the significance, the beauty, the wonder, the magnificence of God. To God be glory. And then he continues, in the church. Okay, well, what does that mean? Well, think of it this way, okay, and I'm, I'm not belittling here. I'm saying, to Patrick Mahomes be glory in Arrowhead. To God, Paul shouts, be glory in the church. And in a sense, we've, we already see it earlier in this chapter. You can go back and read it this week. Paul sees the church like a stadium. He sees the, the church like a theater where he says, now through the church, the, the manifold wisdom of God, manifold is a weird word that just means the, the multifaceted, the varied, the many aspects of the wisdom of God could be made known even to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. He says when it comes to the church, it's like, a, it's like a theater that God puts his wisdom on display, not just for even the rulers and authorities on, on, on the earth, but he says even in the heavenly realms. And so you read the Bible, and it's this picture of God creates the earth, he creates this world, he creates this universe, and then he calls out the church, and together they become this system of mirrors that reflect the greatness of God's wisdom to the whole universe. Do you understand that heart of life is a local expression of that universal church? Our destiny is to be a together, visible, audible shout of praise to God. Our mission statement is to declare God's greatness in every culture. That's our statement. Why is that our statement? Because that's what the Bible says our statement is supposed to be. We are like mirrors, we declare God's greatness in every culture, and this is how we say it, through the Jesus life. We say it that way because the Bible says it that way. Look at where Paul goes next. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. If the church is the theater, in which the principalities and the powers of the universe can see God's wisdom, then Jesus is the embodiment of that wisdom and he is the main character in the drama. If the church is the stadium, then Jesus is the MVP on the field. Another way that you could say this is, is like if the church is a hospital, then Jesus is the only physician. That's the way it works. If Paul had used that illustration, he, he would say glory to God in the church, his hospital, and in his son, the surgeon, who is Jesus. They end up being like what I would describe as meteors across the sky. But God is like the sun. Generation after generation, he rises on the just and the unjust, and he never fades in his glory. And so Paul shouts, 
He says, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in all generations forever and ever. Amen. We celebrate today that our God is no one-hit wonder. Come on. Some of y'all are going to get crazy today for a team who has won one Super Bowl in 60 years. (laughs) But we're hoping, right? One Super Bowl in 60 years, but this might be it. This might be it. So we're going to cheer like crazy today. Some of y'all cheer for a baseball team that'll lose 100 games and has won two World Series in 50 years, right? But our God, the Bible says, he will fill the world with his glory as the waters cover the sea, and it will be to all generations forever and ever. Amen. These pictures in the Bible... These shouts of praise, we give them a weird word sometimes in in theological study. They're called doxologies, okay? So if you ever hear the word doxology, it's like a shout of praise. It's this brief, just blast of a cheer. Well, most of the time, there is a phrase or two within every doxology that tells you why this person is shouting to that degree. So for example, I'm going to read these to you until we get it back, all right? Jude. In Jude, we read, we read a doxology. It reads like this, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to our only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages now and forevermore. Can you hear Jude shout that? Why is he shouting? The reason he's shouting is the keeping power of God. That's what he says. Or in 1 Timothy, we read this from Paul. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. What sends Paul into orbit? It is that God reigns as king forever and ever over everything. Okay, so then what's it about in Ephesians chapter 3? What makes Paul shout in verse 21 that we just walked through? Well, it's connected to verse 20. Check this out. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work within us. Wait a minute. We've heard that before. You've heard that before. Because I said it to you last week. And if you were here the week before that, I said it to you that week. And some of you might have just thought I was like making up some some phrasing, but I wasn't just making it up. The reason reason I gave it to you is because this this is actually what God declares. Look at it again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably what? Oh yeah. He's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask. He's able to do immeasurably more than we can even imagine. But how does that happen? It happens according to his what? power, his power that is at work within us. Thus, that is the reason that this series is called More. 
That's the reason that this is, this is the title of the series. It's more. It's about our God who is able to do more than we ask, more than we can imagine. And what's the key to all that? Right in the center, there is a power button. And that power button is God himself who is at work in us. If Paul was the pastor of Heart of Life, uh, some of y'all would say that would be a good thing. A bunch of y'all would leave. You would, some, some of you get mad and you'd leave if Paul was the pastor of Heart of Life. Because Paul's gonna turn toward heaven and Paul's gonna hear God say, I can do more in this church, Paul, than you've asked for. I can do more among my church, Paul, than you have even imagined. And so Paul's gonna pray, hey God, give us power, give us eyes that can see, help us to know what to ask for. God, help, help us to know what to imagine. And then he's gonna say, let's go, and we're gonna launch into a new venture and, and, and in an act of obedience, and then we're gonna turn our faces toward heaven, and God's gonna go, I got more. And Paul's gonna fall to his knees again, and he's gonna say, God, give us power to, to see what you really want. And, and then there's another launching of, of some crazy ministry that, that nobody believes we have the resources to do and could never get done. And, and, and sure enough, it, there it is, and we look toward heaven again, and God goes, I got more. And Paul prays some more, and every time the, he, his faith is stretched far beyond what he thinks is possible for the church, and God just keeps saying, I got more than you've asked for. I got more than you can imagine. Paul knows that. He knows that. And that's why you cannot miss that the form of verse 20 and 21 matter. And what I mean by that is verse 20 and 21, I told you it's what we call a doxology. It is a shout. It is a declaration of praise. And if you don't see that, you will just read verse 20 and verse 21 as though this really clever way of stating God's sovereignty. God's sovereignty means he is in control of everything. God's sovereignty means that he can do anything that he pleases. You will simply walk away believing this is, this is a statement of God's sovereignty. Can I tell you that I know a lot of people who believe that doctrine in their heads, but they don't sing it. There are a lot of people who believe in the sovereignty of God right here between their ears, but they don't ever shout it. Why is Paul shouting? If you don't know the answer to that, then you do not fully understand the meaning of these two verses. Paul sings because of what he sees. And what he sees are two great truths. One great truth is that the power of God over the church goes beyond what we think. I know you think you got him hemmed in. I, think you, I know you think you know what God can do, but he knows that the power of God over the church goes beyond what we think. But Paul also knows that the love of God for the church goes beyond what we think. Let me show you this prayer. If you back up to verse 14, you begin to get the whole prayer that Paul's praying here. Here's what he says in verse 14. For this reason, I kneel before the Father. It's a prayer. From whom every family in heaven and on earth derives his name. He is the source of it all. We all answer 
his direction. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power. There's our power word again. Through his spirit in your inner being. Paul says what I'm praying for here is that God will give you power. But I want you to understand, this is not about you manufacturing some power from the outside that's going to change the inside. He says, I want you to understand, this is where God starts on the inside with some power that will affect everything about your outside. So that, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That word dwell is kind of a funny um, word. It, it means to settle down. It means to like be at home. Um, the way I'm going to describe it is, is, is sort of like what it will be like this afternoon for many of you. You want to go home and you want to settle in, and you want to celebrate and enjoy what you hope is going to be a great victory today. It's not a moment where you want to be like running around trying to make things work. It's, it's not a moment that, 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 that you want to be running around cleaning or, or sweeping or fixing something. No, you, you, just, you want to be at home. And that's the word. He's saying, I, I, look, I'm praying this, and, and, that, and that God's spirit from the inside out, that, 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 that Christ would make himself at home in your life. In, in other words, it's this picture of you yielding to the spirit of God, that your life is under his control. You're listening to him. You're leaning into him. You're following him with everything that you've got, and as a result, his life permeates every part of your life. What does that look like? What does that mean? The prayer continues, verse 17. And I pray that you, here's our first phrase, being rooted and established in love. Remember what I told you? It's power and it's love. He says, I, you, I want to, I, I'm praying that there will be power that, that first of all, you, 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 you are rooted and you are established in love. When Christ moves in, love moves in. When Christ fills your life, love fills your life. And what this phrase means is exactly what it sounds like. You think root, you think foundation, you think basis. Love is the root for everything else that's going to flow out of your life. Well, how did he get there? Jesus. Romans chapter 5 will tell us that the love of God is poured out into our hearts by Jesus. He pours his love into our hearts by the, by the Holy Spirit. The moment that we put our trust in Jesus, the moment that we declare, Jesus, I want you to be at home in my life. I want to follow you. His love comes to be within us, and it is expected that we love. There's a time when Paul says to, to the church at Thessalonica. It's the book of Thessalonians in your Bible. Here's what Paul says to them. Nobody needs to teach you how to love. That's what he says. 
Nobody needs to teach you how to love because God taught you how to love one another. In other words, when he came to live within you and he poured out his love by his spirit in you, this just becomes your new normal. This is Christian life. It is to love. Now sometimes, if you don't experience that in your life, I'm not always convinced it's because it's not there. Sometimes that's the case. But it's not always because it's not there. It's because you're not allowing it to function. I can describe it better than I can say it. Is it easier for you to breathe or hold your breath? Breathe. It's easier for you to breathe than it is to hold your breath. You didn't wake up this morning going, okay, breathe. Breathe again, breathe again. Don't, don't die, breathe. You, you didn't wake up declaring, breathe. It's difficult to hold your breath because you're fighting against what's natural. And what the Bible teaches us is when you become a child of God, when Jesus makes his dwelling in your life, when he makes himself at home in you, the love of God poured out into your life, it permeates you, it should touch everybody around you, it should be your way of life, but some of y'all are holding your breath. And your own self-will is saying, I'm refusing to love here. Your own selfish pride is saying, they did this to me, I am not gonna love. And you are holding your breath. When Christ settles down, makes his home in you, love poured out, permeates your life, the root, the foundation, the basis is love. But Paul doesn't stop there. He says, I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. To grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So he says, I want you rooted in this word, in this love, but, but I also want you to grasp this word. And this is a funny word. It's like not the word in the Greek language that means to just receive something, like if somebody gives you something and you receive it. This is the word that we would use to describe somebody who is ridiculously possessive. You know somebody who just has a possessive nature? Right, and, and you would use a word to describe that, that's what this word is. It, it means to seize. It means to grasp it for your own. It means not only is your life built on this love that Jesus has poured into you, but, but you, you, you're gonna make it your way of living in the sense of grasping every opportunity to love as though this is the most treasured thing you have. You are possessive with this love that is extended to everyone around you. And then there's one more phrase that he uses, being rooted and established in love, that you will grasp how wide, long, high, and deep is this love of Christ. And then he says, and to know, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The, the word know here, we've seen it all the way through Ephesians. It is an experiential know. This is not a no that means just with your head. This is an, a no that means to experience 
this love. If you claim to be a Christian, but you don't know this love experientially, the problem is not that people around you are giving you trouble. The problem is back in verse 16 that you have not yet yielded control of your life to the Spirit of God. If your family relationship is not love, it is not a personality problem. It is not an incompatibility problem. It is a selfishness problem. Say, well, I just don't love them anymore. That would be called disobedience for a child of God. It's disobedience. We totally miss the point when it comes to this. The absence of love is the presence of sin. The absence of love means somebody's not walking in the spirit of God. And I know some of you across the room would say, but I have loved so long and look at the way that I've been treated. Here's my encouragement. Take that exact statement and present it to God. And he goes, oh, you mean like you've treated me? The world says, love is I'm attracted to you, so I choose to love you. God's love says, I love you by nature, you exist, and so I love you to the fullest. The world's love says, I love you until I find something that looks better. God's love says, you look perfect in Jesus. I love you forever. The world's love says, I love you till you offend me. God's love says, I love you in spite of the fact that you have never stopped offending me. This world loves for what it can get. But Jesus' followers love for what can be given. And I'm not giving you my story today. I'll give you some of it next week. But that great truth messed me up. And it changed forever how I saw God and how I saw the world. Because look what he says next in verse 19. The result of all this, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. <laughs> We're still trying to figure that. What does that mean? What does it mean to be filled to the fullness of God, all of who God is? We talked about it in week one. We, we saw it come back in week two. It's gonna come back in week four. This phrase that Paul uses over and over again, the fullness of God, all, all of who he is, that, that, that we might know that measure in our life. And again, next week, I'll share a little bit about how God did some of that personally in me. But today, I want to make sure that I really lay some foundation for you here and that you see the parallel between power and love. The parallel between the power of God and the love of God. He told us that the love of God 
goes beyond what we comprehend. And Paul in the same prayer says, you understand, the power of God goes beyond what you can imagine. Both of these facets, the love of God, the power of God, beyond what you can even dream of, but when you see them together, something happens. This is an image that we have uh, seen a lot of lately. Seems like we're smack in the middle of hurricane season. There have been hurricanes in the Atlantic, hurricanes in the Pacific, hurricanes just all over the place. And uh, was it Dorian was the last one that was threatening, you know, Florida and up the coast. And so we, we see the images of this all the time. Have you ever heard of something called the Fujiwara effect? And a couple of you have, because I see you shaking your head, and you're not lying in church, I know that. You, you actually know what, you know what you're saying. Some of you haven't, but even if you don't know what it means, you're like, I want to know what that is, because that's just cool to say, the Fujiwara effect. What is the Fujiwara effect? The Fujiwara effect is named after a Japanese meteorologist, therefore Fujiwara. And it basically is describing what he studied, which was... What happens when two hurricanes spinning in the same direction pass close enough to each other that they begin this intense dance around a common center? All right? So I'm going to go meteorologist on you here, and here's what I mean. When there is a large hurricane and a smaller hurricane, and these hurricanes are spinning in the same direction, but when they get close enough to each other, what will often happen is the large hurricane just basically engulfs the smaller hurricane, the smaller hurricane is no more, and the bigger one just continues. There are some times, though, that when both hurricanes are about the same size, and they get close enough to each other, they're both spinning in the same direction, remember, that what will happen sometimes is as they get close, they will begin to do like this, more like, think about pedals on a bicycle. Those two, hur they, 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 they stay two hurricanes in that way, but they begin to revolve around a center point. Really a cool picture. It happened in 2017, a time or two. It happened with a hurricane. Uh, it happened with a typhoon. Doesn't happen all the time. But what also happens in the Fujiwara effect is you got two hurricanes, similar size, that when they get close enough to each other, they actually merge and become a most significant, enormous, humongous hurricane when both forces are joined as one. Here's what I'm trying to tell you. When your heart experiences the massive weather front of God's love and it meets the massive weather front of God's power, there is a Fujiwara effect that happens that produces a massive hurricane 
of praise. And that's what's happened in the life of the Apostle Paul. I'm telling you, again, I I just, I can't get it to you this week because I need to lay some foundation for you, but in my own life, I'm just telling you, God produced a storm. And when I finally had some eyes to see the love of God and the power of God, and when he brought those together, it changed my life forever. That was 20 years ago, and it changed my life forever. But I wanna wrap this thing together today by making sure that you see, or at least that you don't miss these words and that God will give you eyes to see, Paul prays for power. God, give them power. And when you and I hear, God, give us power, our immediate thought is, God, give me power to do. Give me power to do this. God, give me power to do this. Give me power to do that. God, there are some things I really want to get done. There are some things I really want to have. There's something. God, will you give me power to do something? But when Paul prays for power for them in Ephesians chapter 3, he, he at no point is saying, I'm, I'm praying for power that you will do this, do this. Every time he's praying that you will know. That you will know. And it's not just a no here, it is a no here. For example, that you will know how wide and how long and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. That's a cool phrase. There's even a song or two that, that we sing every once in a while that it's like, isn't that an interesting way for Paul to suddenly take out the measurements and start talking like, like what is that about? Somebody, somewhere along the way, said, well, when, when you think about the, the, the width and the length and the height and the depth of God's love, I mean, you could think about the cross, and literally the cross, because how many, the cross that we tend to, to focus on, how many points are on that cross? There's a point that goes up and, and down and side and side, and if you, if you think about that cross just being laid on the globe and then the love of God that stretches this way and the love of God that stretches this way, that, that cross represents you know, the, the height and the depth and the width and, uh, of God's love, and that's kind of cool. That's kind of a cool visual. But for me, maybe the best way to interpret what Paul means here is to actually look at the book of Ephesians itself and what we have already learned in just three weeks. So Paul, what, 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 how wide is this love? How wide is this love, Paul? Well, here's what, he, here's what we learned in, in Ephesians chapter two last week. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. What Paul's talking about here is what is often, it's the Jews and the Gentiles. That's what he's talking about. You got the Jews who kind of grew up in this, in this understanding of who Jehovah God is, but then you had Gentiles who, who the Jews saw them as hopeless, right? They had, they had absolutely no 
hope. They were so far from God. And the, and the point is, eventually Jesus came to show, hey, just because you're Jewish and your father is Abraham, that doesn't make you right with God. In fact, you're not any more right with God than this Gentile who hasn't yet heard even who God is. But when Jesus comes along and a, and, and a cross where his blood is shed, all of a sudden, these two who are far apart, two groups with a, with a dividing wall, he says, my love is the love that brings them as one. That's how wide this love is. All right, how long? How long is this love? Well, he tells us in Ephesians chapter one, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world. That's a long time ago. That's a long time ago. Before the creation of the world, that would be eternity past. He says in Ephesians chapter two, in order that in the coming ages, he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. So from, from how long is this love? Eternity past to eternity future? I'm just making sure that you understand that would include from your first breath to your last breath, anything in between. How long is this love of God? It covers every breath that you take. How deep, how deep is this love? Well, we learned in the first verses of Ephesians 2 that we were dead and your transgressions and sins, you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, you were disobedient. In other words, how deep is this love? It is deep enough to reach into the lowest pit. And then what? Raise you out. Which leads us to how high is this love? Ephesians 1 says he blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And in chapter 2, he raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to get. How wide is this love of Jesus? It can reach anybody. You hear me? Anybody. The love, of re the love of Jesus, it is wide enough to reach a guy like me. It is wide enough to reach somebody like you. You say, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know how far from God that I have tried to run. I'm telling you that the love of God is so wide. You cannot run that far. How long is this love? It reaches from eternity past to eternity future. I'm telling you, whatever moment you're in right now, uh, the, uh, uh, the breath that you take, you, you think it's, it's, it's too big for anybody, the hurt that you experience, the sorrow that you feel, but this love, it is long, it expands eternity past to eternity future. How deep is this love? It is a love that reaches into the deepest pit, and how high is this love? It takes us to the presence of God. This is the love of Christ. And Paul shouts because he knows this is the kind of love on which you build your life. And this is the kind of love that you want to seize every minute to demonstrate such love. And this is the kind of love that you want to experience, you want to know. My question is, do you know such love and is God that real
to you. It is the kind of love that reaches two parties that hate each other. And we'll bring you back. It is the kind of love that runs through every part of your life. The kind of love that, that some of you really do believe that the pit that you're in today is too deep for anybody to help you. But the truth is that there is a love of God and there is a power of God that is bigger than you think. And today that love and that power reaches into the pit and his desire is to lift you up to the very presence of God not one day in heaven, let me rephrase that, not just one day in heaven, but right now, the one who will come to live in you. Do you know such love? I'm gonna pray. Next week, we'll pick it up right here. But you understand that between this breath and that breath, there are some things that God wants to speak to your heart. Between this breath today and the breath that we take together next week, there are some things about God's love that some of you right now, you hear me say it, and you, you got it here but there's something that God wants to do to move it here. That his love and his power is so real that you don't think twice about shouting in regards to its reality. I'm gonna pray. If you need some prayer today, maybe you wanna meet this Jesus today. Hey, I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing you will ever do in your life. We'll be right over here on the side in just a few moments. We're gonna sing a little bit. We're gonna praise him a little bit. We would love to visit with you that you know this guy loves you that much. I'll pray, we'll sing. Let's listen to him, let's pray. God, as I uh, give this talk today, my heart goes back 20 years. And I remember the season that you opened my eyes in a way like it had never been done before. And God, I have found it difficult this week um, to, to stop thinking about, to stop 
cheering for, to stop shouting. God, the difference that you have made. And God, what I found myself wrestling with is I don't have the power to help somebody else see it. I don't have the power to craft words that transform. The only transforming power in this room today is you. So God, I just have to believe that there are some folks in this room who are searching for, who are longing for a love that's real. A love that's not based on how well we can perform in order to earn but a love that is anchored in the truth of who you are. God, God, what, what, help, help us to consider if this is true. What if it's true that how you love us right now, it is not possible for us to be loved even more and that's not because we, we can't ever do enough, but what if it's true that you already love us to the fullness of who you are? God, what if you already love us at a level, God, that, that is at the absolute highest peak? God, if that's true, then I believe there's a whole bunch of us in this room who wanna know such love. God, that kind of love would change everything. So God, I'm asking that by the power of your spirit, you would start to open eyes. The eyes of our heart, God, that we could see like we never have seen before. A whole bunch of us, God, our whole life we've been trying to earn. God, a whole bunch of us, we're, we're still living in a pit of regret of some things that we've done. And I'm asking God that the truth, the truth of who you are and the truth of how you love and the truth of your power to raise dead things to life, you would give us eyes to see. God, as we sing now, God, may you take the words of our lips and may they be a shout of praise to you. But God, will you also do something in these moments that transforms this into a shout of praise this week. You are savior. You have changed everything for us. God, may your church shout your praise. May our love declare your greatness. May the truth of your power and your love this week become a storm of praise. It's in the name of Jesus that I'm asking.